What's up everyone and welcome to episode 53 of the Justin Insight Podcast and this week's episode is brought to you in association with alreadyheard.com. Uh, now alreadyheard.com is a web-based uh, magazine which features the latest reviews, features, interviews of all the best and brightest and upcoming acts in the alternative music world uh, by a host of incredible writers including myself. Who am I, you may be asking? Well, my name is Tim Backbeck. I am a writer. I am a lover of films, music and wrestling. But most importantly of all, I am your body and vehicle through this podcast. I hope you liked the little seamless transition there. I had to give Already Heard a plug because if it wasn't for Sean, this interview wouldn't have happened. So, Sean, shout out to you. Um, But yeah, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, Again, I haven't really got a whole lot to, to report back to you for this week. Um, I went and saw Suggs from Madness. He did like a a one man show in Basingstoke, so that was for work. But it was quite interesting. Like, yeah, it was more more of like a comedy act than him singing Scar, which which was good because f- fuck that shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, then uh, on Sunday night I went and saw uh, Jamie Lenman at the Wedged Rooms here in Portsmouth, which was really enjoyable. It's cool to hear some of like the old Reuben songs. Um, and yeah, it was just re- like Jamie Lemon is he's really like a really funny guy on stage, so that was re- it was just yeah, a really fun gig. Um, but apart from that, nothing massively exciting happening in the world of, of Tim this week, so um, I'm just gonna jump straight into uh, this week's guest, uh, and that is vocalist and guitarist of the band Kundra, Dan Nightingale. Now, I'm not just saying this because uh, Obviously, Dan is the guest of this week's podcast, but the new Condra record, Maya, is maybe one of the heaviest UK releases in in a long time. It is just brutal. So when that comes out uh, at the end of this month, I highly recommend going to check that out. Um, but yeah, we, I chat to Dan about sort of growing up listening to, to ACDC and Depeche Mode, uh, how his fellow guitarist Brady was kind of like the catalyst for, for pushing Condra. Um, and how they're just kind of doing what they want. They're not kind of defined by by genre barriers or anything like that. And I think when you hear the record, it's very, very obvious why why that is. Um, but yeah, as always, hope you enjoy the little chat I have with Dan, and I'll see you on the other side. So joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist and guitarist of Kundra, Dan Nightingale. Dan, thank you very much for for joining me on a Saturday evening. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No, no worries. Um, As briefly mentioned, obviously, before kind of I hit the the record button, um, the podcast kind of is a a look back through through the history of Dan Nightingale to to an extent. So... um, Obviously, a lot of people will know you from from Kundra, but maybe not how you got to be there. So, what I like to kind of how I start these things out is find out how you kind of got into alternative music. So, that my kind of journey was through my older brother, through new metal and things like that. So, what kind of got you into to alternative music, Dan? Um. Well, when I, when I was a little kid, like I was always around. Uh, music my parents weren't like huge huge music fans but there was always music about um 
uh, it was always like a, a few bands. So for my dad, it was ACDC. Yeah. And for my mum, it was like Bon Jovi. Okay. And there was always kind of... Um, my dad always had a lot of CDs, but he, he would never really... I mean, I was a little kid, so he wasn't going to be talking about music <laughs> yeah. to a three-year-old. But, like, there was always these CDs around, and it was kind of like, what are these things? And he'd have, like, some Iron Maiden vinyls, and my mum had, like, some Depeche Mode singles and stuff. Like, so that was, like, how I got into music when I was really young. But in terms of alternative music, it was... Um, I know, I guess, going through all that stuff, really, just finding more and more and more, and not necessarily finding more underground stuff, but finding all these different avenues. So, yeah. obviously, with my mum, she was really into glam rock and glam metal, and my dad was into more straight-up rock and roll, but when I would, like, play games on the PC when I was a little kid, uh, like, shooting games and stuff, like, he would come in, and he'd be like, oh, damn, there's this thing called Winamp. Like, you can listen to music while you're playing games. And he'd put on, like... I remember the first time I ever heard Slipknot was I was playing a game called Tribes 2 or something. Mm. And he was like, oh, yeah, you want to have this on in the background? And he put on Sick by Slipknot. <laughs> nice. And I was about seven or eight. And I was like, I don't know what this is. It's scary, but it's making me kill everyone faster <laughs> in this game. So this is brilliant. Like, so that, I guess that was kind of, you know, that's obviously a lot more alternative than yeah. freaking Aerosmith. <laughs> Yeah, and something else because on that kind of journey, it's quite interesting that your dad was the one that kind of put Slipknot on. Because for for me, that was something again that my older brother, I think he bought the the CD, and that was my introduction to it. So, what's something else I like to find out is what was the kind of the first album that you bought personally, like with your pocket money or something? Because for for me, I've told this story before, but um, it was a cassette tape, but it was of um, Pantera live. And basically, uh, I was on holiday with um, with my family, and we went into this little record shop in France. And because the 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 cover looks like the front of a bottle of of Jack Daniels, and obviously I was yeah, well, I was I was like twelve at the time, but I was sort of like that looks sick. So picked that up. So that was the first thing I'd ever bought alternatively with my my own money. So what what was yours, Dan? Well, yours was a lot cooler than mine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the first thing I ever bought, like. I can't remember how it came about, but um, I know, I don't know if it was like my mum was like, for a random like late birthday present or something, she was like, oh yeah, I'm going to get you a CD or something, or I got some pocket money or whatever, and she took me to a place called Spinner Disc in our local town, it's been gone for years now, but mm. I'm, I'm fairly sure, because the thing is that the memories all blur a bit, because yeah. like, for Christmas and birthdays, my grandma and my mum or whatever, they'd buy me CDs, but I'm I'm pretty sure the first CD I ever bought for myself was The Poison by Bullet for My Valentine. Nice. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like, I stuck by that album for, for a long time, and then I listened to it, like, the other month, and I was like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> what, why did... But you got to start something. I was going to say, it, it's one of those yeah, records was, I'm that... I'm pretty sure that... Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't exactly sort of age well, does it, unfortunately? Oh, no. The, the lyrics are terrible. Almost <laughs> yeah. everything about it is terrible. Well, as you mentioned, you kind of come from a, well, quite a musical family, obviously sort of surrounded by music. And obviously do, doing my research, I read that obviously you got into the guitar sort of quite early. So when when did you first sort of pick up a guitar? Um, a long, quite a long time. 
before I picked up my first album, um, I used to get. I, I've been telling this story wrong for years. So <laughs> I've actually got it right. I could like clear it up on here to people. But like, um, my dad uh, apparently he bought like a little uh, vintage like knockoff SG, and he apparently he was always trying to play like. ACDC, Thunderstruck, you know, yeah. Dirty Deeds and all that kind of stuff. Apparently he would always play that um, or try to play it in like the upstairs room. And apparently when I was a little kid and he was doing that, whenever I heard him, I would immediately, just like a robot, just get up from whatever it was I was doing and would stand and watch him play. Okay. And a couple of times, um, you know, I'd, I'd just go and stand and watch him and eventually he was like, do you want to have a go? I was yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, he'd give me the guitar, but and like, I, obviously, I had no idea what I was doing. So he'd like teach me how to like fret a couple of notes, but I couldn't pick at the same time. So right. he'd do one or the other. Either he'd be fretting, or I'd be like be picking or whatever. And it was just like really, obviously, really simple guitar parts. But apparently, that was what just made me go, "Yeah, I want a guitar now." Even <laughs> I would, like, obviously transitioning like listening to sort of uh like acdc and like the, the glam rock kind of bands was it an easy transition for you play like to play heavier stuff yourself like when you were learning yeah i mean the thing is because i know bon jovi and acdc aren't exactly miles and miles apart from each other like although that is the case with them when my dad would show me other stuff, like he was never, like I'm pretty sure he's never bought like a Slipknot album or anything. He would just kind of pick stuff up as and when. Yeah. And, like, even to this day, like because I work with him at his motorbike shop, like okay. his playlist, the one minute they'll be down on, and then the next minute they'll be I don't know, like Thin Lizzy or Kansas <laughs> or whatever. Like is sort of again like nowadays like that you can draw lines between those bands but as a kid it was kind of it taught you to basically accept like whatever was thrown at you you know you weren't an elitist when you were eight years old yeah like, yeah you just whatever was thrown at you you were kind of like yeah this is cool and so being amongst you know old legends like old rock legends and then stuff like new metal like that's the stuff i was growing up with lincoln park and all that they were they may as well have all have been just under one label for me okay so it was you know like you had the stuff that was kind of like right this is how you look cool this is how you look like angus young and all that and then it was like now here's something you know here's hybrid theory this is more your kind of level because it's it's more current it's yeah you're growing up with it sort of thing so i guess because of you know those kind of massive jumps they seem they seemed so small when i was a kid so jumping between genres and whatnot has always been like such an easy thing like at school it was never we only listen to metalcore or we only listen to deathcore or anything like that there was always well you know i'm gonna go listen to like it's embarrassing to say now but like, i'll listen to medina lake and then <laughs> i'll listen to suicide silence or whatever there was just there was those bridges didn't seem all those gaps didn't seem as wide growing up yeah and something else that I always kind of like to to sort of ask people is what were their kind of 
first experience of, of of live music again being myself being very fortunate having an older brother he kind of guided me on a on a decent path so my very first sort of quote-unquote big show was um the movie life in our in my little my local venue so what was your first exposure of, of live sort of alternative music um I, I think the first gig i ever went to was actually the darkness the oh okay the that's pretty cool <laughs> But um, I remember not liking it at all. Like, I loved, <laughs> I loved the spectacle of everything, and like I thought it was just you know it's the stuff you you dream of when you're a kid, like big stadiums and like, rock and roll and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I just remember thinking, this is rubbish. Like and I was, I must have been eleven at the time. But um, I think it was because by that age, I'd, I'd started listening to like. Avenged Sevenfold right. and uh, uh, you know Slipknot and stuff like that. I'd just gone into secondary school, so like I was sort of you know waving my flag of the music at the time. So like Killswitch Engage and stuff like that. So seeing the darkness then was like it was cool, but I was already onto different stuff. And I think it was like the next year or a couple of years later, I got to see Avenged Sevenfold live, and that was way more you know my kind of level yeah like at that age it was just like yes this is what i want i don't want the darkness like even though i loved the darkness at the time like seeing event sevenfold was kind of the first like right this is making an impact mm. sort of thing and obviously the the kind of i think from what you're saying is you're kind of around the same age as, as me so how old are you if you don't want me asking dan 24 yeah so a little bit younger than me but kind of for it sounds like the the kind of the bands you were listening to are obviously influencing your kind of guitar playing so before we get into to conjurer itself like what was your sort of first foray into to music like was it sort of college bands or did you go kind of straight off the bat sort of play sort of little local venues like what was your journey into music um well as I suppose it's the same with any musician. Like I started writing and stuff like years and years before I actually played a gig. Yeah, um, and it, it was all on my own. Like I started, I didn't, I didn't even start writing like music. It was all lyrics. I was always writing lyrics. Like I'd listen to like an MCR song and I'd write my own lyrics to it, like the exact same phrasing and syllables and whatnot, and I'd just write my own lyrics. Okay, there. but eventually when I actually started thinking well no I need to actually write some music it was all you know really standard like ECG chords <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that and putting lyrics to that but when it came to playing with other people um, I guess I was I must have been 13 or something and I was in English class and there was this uh, first of all when I was 10 I did a talent show at my school and I did like a medley of like Enter Sandman, a Velvet Revolver song, and I think I believe in a thing called love. Okay. And basically, um, when I was thirteen, I was I was put in an English class. Like it was the beginning of year nine, and the kid I was sat with, um, I just ended up chatting to him, and he was saying, "Oh yeah, I saw you at that talent show, and I I, I got a guitar because of you." So oh, that's pretty cool. Like, oh, wicked! And like it was just kind of should we be like music friends sort of <laughs> yeah. like, that's how that's how we became mates and that's when it started being you know he would be like oh have you listened to Rose of Sharon or whatever like he was into status quo he was kind of brought up on the same sort of stuff as me like yeah. 
he was all into status quo and like little bits of rush and things like that and but we were still in the, on the same level in that like I said he was like oh have you heard Killswitch Engage and I was like oh have you heard Bullet have you heard Trivium and that whole you know 2004 third wave yeah, that yeah. we scene that's what we wanted to play like that was what was inspiring us so we would start writing songs together and it would all just sound like that kind of stuff that <laughs> yeah. down <laughs> but we didn't care we actually we were just so happy to kind of find each other really mm. and I, I stuck with him for years uh, for about seven years we were playing music together and stuff like in, in different projects with different names that they, they I mean we didn't actually get a gig in that project we started off until I think like five years later I was okay. like, it must have been 18 or something um, and we we had a little metalcore death metal band called Tear of Eden and by, by that point like he was he hadn't like signed out of the kind of music we were playing but it was very much because I was so gung-ho with writing and stuff he was kind of like yeah I'll I'll, I'll play what you write for me sort yeah. of thing but um, my first ever gig before that even got off the ground was with a deathcore band and that, that was when I went I was in college and within like the first couple of weeks of being in college um, they do the whole thing it was a practice course at Leamington and it was the whole right you go into different practice rooms with different musicians and you kind of gauge what other people want to play and what their styles are and you know within two weeks this band called Septic Curse <laughs> were like yeah we want that guy <laughs> so the first gig I played was at like a local we have these nights called Full Metal Racket Nights okay which was like the local scene and it's and it was all bands they were all like 14 15 year old kids sort of thing and like the headlining band would be a, a, a local band from Coventry or whatever and yeah, that was my first ever gig was with that little deathcore band. I think I did two gigs with them, and then I got kicked out. <laughs> oh dear. Well, I think it's quite an interesting sort of way that you said that about the t- sort of talent show, because there was a guy that I went to school with that kind of was along the same sort of thing. He was very much into his, like, Avenged Sevenfold and, and bands like that. And he used to just do these, like, epic guitar solos, and he did a talent show one time. And off the back of it, he ended up forming a little band. And then I've kind of lost contact with him for a while, but he went out to America. And have you heard of the band Falling in Reverse? Oh, yeah, yeah. He ended up being their guitarist for a little bit, which was the most bizarre. Really? Yeah, I picked up a copy of, like, I think it was Rock Sound, and I was like, I went to school with that dude. So, yeah, that, that was quite quite a shocker, which was quite weird. But um, oh, I mean, I, I heard something about, like, the... The people who are like in the video, the musicians in the video, aren't the same that recorded the album. Was he in the band? In the band, or was he like a? No, yeah, he was. He was actually in in the band for. It wasn't for long, but I think it was like for a six month period, sort of thing. Still, that's mental. Yeah, very bizarre. But um, so going for on from 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 your first sort of show, obviously, what was because again, people will know you from from Conjurer, but have you kind of been in? other touring bands and recording bands prior to that? I've uh, been in like recording bands. Uh, um, this uh, metalcore project that I was in with the guy I met in school, um, that uh, started off like really, you know, really, you know, 
everything sounded like kill switch and whatever. Yeah. As as time kind of went on and we were getting into our late teens and stuff, it all became a bit more um, a bit more death metal influenced and like at the gates influenced and stuff like that. Um, and eventually, I think it was 2012, we recorded an EP. Uh, before that, we'd done like a little demo, like in Coventry or whatever. But like that was, you know. It, that was nowhere near like a decent production value or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. we, we did one EP about a year before we split up, and that was recorded with Justin Hill of Sixth. Oh, nice. Uh, we were, yeah, we were incredibly proud of that, and I, I'm still proud of it to this day. Like, I know Jan and Brady in the band; they're, they're always like singing the first song off that EP. <laughs> you know, they keep saying, "Look, get that band back together again." I'm like, "No, dead now. <laughs> That's it." But um, no, that so that was my only kind of experience with recording. Like we we gigged and stuff, but I don't think that band ever played more than maybe fifteen, twenty gigs. Fair in enough. The, can't, can't think how many years we were running. We must have only been going for like a year and a half. Yeah, maybe two years at much. And because what's the what was the local scene like for for you growing up? Was there kind of much of a buzz around it for you to kind of? get a, a taste of it or was it did you have to kind of travel to shows and things oh mate there was like there was nothing <laughs> like we we had one venue called the vault and it's like it, it weren't a great venue but it was our venue it was all we had so right like, yeah it, i get that most of the gig i say that we played like 15 gigs i think about nine of them would have been at the vault like <laughs> and it was kind of it was kind of the only place we could go, and in terms of metal in my hometown, like there, there was just nothing. Like when I went to college, it was kind of like you know they taught you, you know, you... they weren't like making promises or anything, but they were just you know they were instilling a, you know a gung ho attitude in yeah. terms of going out and doing your own thing. And because I decided like I don't really want to go to uni, I just want to be gigging as much as I can. Yeah. It was kind of like, right, I'm ready to go. There's nothing <laughs> yeah. here. What do I do? So it was a case of just going to like the most nearby town. So we we'd play like Northampton, uh, Coventry. Uh, that's about it. Okay, fair <laughs> uh, enough. That, uh, the, this, there was no scene in terms of other bands. Like there were always bands about, but they weren't sort of active okay if that's the right way to put it it was kind of bands would start up and they'd have like a t-shirt design and it'd all be like yeah ep coming soon and then they would just die that was it like sometimes you wouldn't even ever see these bands live or sometimes they wouldn't even release a song or like <laughs> it was you know it, it was just kind of I, I mean i get it like when, when i was a kid i was always kind of you know i'm gonna start a band called this and it's gonna have these guys in it and then like you talk to them about it, they're like, yeah, cool, and then you'd never speak to them again. Yeah, like, yeah. It was just kind of, there wasn't <laughs> much, people wanted to start bands, but there wasn't a passion to kind of keep them going, I guess. Yeah. And so it was a case of us like, well, we need places to play, so we'd go as far out as we could. I mean, we did end up going to like London a couple of times and stuff, but that was it, and there'd be no one there, and we didn't, you know, we didn't really care at that point. It's just like, well, we're in London, we made it. <laughs> Well, if we um, if we fast forward a bit now, then so talk to me how how Conjurer came to be because like 
as I say, there's a lot of buzz around you guys at the moment now. So, what, how did you guys all meet in the first place? Was it was it through sort of college and things, or just sort of at various gigs? Well, one of the bands that um, I played with in that metalcore band I was just talking about was Brady's other metalcore band, right? Okay, the final chapter. And so we we'd crossed paths a few times and stuff, and I I know. Um, one time he was going to download at the same year as me. He's just like, oh yeah, can I bung a lift off you? And like he, he stayed around my house and I showed him Arm for Apocalypse that night and that was a band that like we're hugely inspired by now. I don't mm. even know if he'll remember that night. But, <laughs> so he, he would cross past a few times, but um, after that uh, metalcore band split, I joined a covers band and it was fine. It was pretty fun. I was playing all the stuff that I grew up on. Okay, but cool. At the same time, I was like, I, I do want to be in my own metal band sort of thing. And I remember seeing Brady posted something on Facebook just saying, I'm looking to start a death metal band in the vein of Black Dahlia Murder and Gojira. And they, at the time, and still to this day in some regards, are two incredibly important bands to like my music taste and yeah. my playing and stuff. So I was like, I'm sold. And <laughs> I just messaged him and was like, yeah, I'll do something with you. Like that sounds great, and we we just chatted for a little bit, and was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, we really like this album, that album, this band, that song, and stuff like that. And I was working on a song at the time just on my own, um, which ended up being the first song off uh, the EP we did. Okay. And sent that to him like in a it was kind of like half finished, and he was just like yeah we, we need to get this done now we need to do this sort of thing and so we'd go around his and like we'd set up our amps and our stacks and stuff in his front room and we'd be playing through the songs and it, it kind of, that's kind of how everything got started but it didn't really the idea of like making this band a thing didn't really kind of it wasn't hammered home until me and him went to go see Yob and Paul Bearer at the Underworld mm-hmm. and then it was kind of because as he said, he wanted to start a death metal band, and I was coming in with like down and all, a lot more fuzzy bands. I was into the much more kind of doom metal scene at the time. Yeah, and I was just kind of like I was showing him that stuff. He wanted to do death metal stuff, and when we saw Yob, that kind of hammered home like the kind of heavy sound we wanted. Because yeah, they they are a doom band and stuff, but they're not. You know, they're not down or anything like that. They're not just <laughs> yeah. kind of straightforward. They're a lot more progressive. They're a lot more post, in a sense. And mm. seeing them, it was kind of like, right, now we know what we want to do. Like, that was kind of us and getting on length. We were already on, like, similar wavelengths. But yeah. seeing that show was just kind of, right, that's it now. This is what we're doing. And you mentioned, obviously, earlier, Dan, that obviously there wasn't sort of much from where you were so from the kind of inception of of Contra was it always a a conscious effort of like we need to kind of push ourselves further afield because I I don't know like from an outsider looking in you guys are kind of I don't know for for me you're quite a, a breath of fresh air within the metal scene and it seems like you've kind of found a home within the metal scene now obviously I know you're a bit bit more established but in those early days was it a case of we need to kind of push ourselves or was it just a case of see where things go well I mean 
when it came to doing our first gigs and whatnot, um, me and Brady consciously talked about like where we'd be starting off, sort of thing. And because we'd done all like the, the pub and the smaller club circuits and stuff in our hometowns and whatnot, and we'd been sort of further afield, as I said, like in our own bands, we'd play like London once or twice and stuff like that. And when we got to talking about gigging in Kundra, it was more like, right, well, if we have to start from the very bottom again, we're happy to do it. Mm. But if we can basically pick up from where our last bands left off, that'd be great. And yeah, Brady just like, he just was so, um, he just knew what he was doing right away. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was kind of like to me, it was magical. It was like, how are you getting us on these shows? And like, I mean, our first ever show was at a place called the Rainbow in Birmingham. Okay. The, like the size of the place to me was just like I'd never seen anything. I'd never played anywhere that size. It's mm. just kind of like, how did you do this? And he basically started his own promotions company, okay. the Way Promotions. Like he basically started that just to get us our first gig (laughs) like Tobafile and Burden of the Noose and Aluna like and that to me was like the biggest show I'd ever played and it was it felt like even though we said you know if we have to start from the bottom we will but let's pick up where we left off it wasn't even that like he'd surpassed that yeah like we ended up almost skipping out an entire almost year or two's worth of playing other circuits and we just ended up at these places we'd never been to before and you know it's not to say that they may as well have been like Wembley to us <laughs> playing with this band and that band and so I guess yeah there was, there was a conscious decision of like let's do this let's get on to that but Brady just he just managed to do it like when, when you're younger and you're like oh yeah I want, I want to play this place and that place you have no idea how to do it Yeah. whereas with Brady it's like I want to play here and then next week we would be there like, what the how do we how do we end up here <laughs> and for, obviously from the the early days I, got, I was trying to wrap my brain before I I called you to sit to kind of remember when I first kind of saw your name floating about but I, I couldn't remember but I remember sort of seeing the the whole kind of like doom metal tag put onto you guys but then when I listen to you that's not what I hear at all like even for, from the first EP so was it weird that kind of I guess the quote unquote press were kind of putting you in that doom metal sort of bracket but you're not a stereotypical like you were saying like there's bands now that kind of play are in that do, like Yob and, and Paul Bearer to an extent that are in that doom metal sort of bracket but they're not your, your stereotypical so how was that for you kind of like breaking in almost immediately being put in that tag well I guess when we started playing shows it was with uh, Doomia bands and stuff and I think I mean I'd, I, I can't remember if we put the tag on ourselves oh, okay. but I remember I remember when we were younger uh, when we were first starting out it was kind of like what what do we call ourselves and <laughs> yeah. we didn't really try we didn't, we didn't bother. That wasn't to say, like, oh, we were this new, incredible, magical thing that no one's ever heard before. We just didn't know what to call ourselves, and we didn't want to just say, you know, we're just metal, because that's <laughs> the vaguest term. Like, so, yeah, we, we didn't really try. We just went out and started playing with 
Doom and bands and stuff because that's what we were into at the time. Like Brady was getting us onto Doom bills, and it's not that we were Doom, but it, we didn't. You know, we weren't so kind of out that it didn't kind of. Yeah, we, we were just we just kind of tacked ourselves onto a lot of those kind of bills, and mm. so when people started talking about us, it was in regards to those bills. So I guess that's I guess that's where the tag kind of came from. But we we started calling ourselves so pretentious. We started calling ourselves post sludge. <laughs> nice. We, we 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 thought like well we're not really death metal like we I guess we're kind of sludgy, but then we go like all pretty in places. So I guess <laughs> well, I guess we call it post sludge. And it was just like you know what? Why not? Just if if people say it's cringy, it's cringy. If not <laughs> great. We've got a genre tag, but yeah, it, it all came from those earlier days of playing with Doom bands, and then as we started writing more and taking inspiration from a lot of the bands we played with, it was kind of it was almost an ADHD kind of approach we had to writing. It was kind of you know we'd we'd play a gig with a hardcore band and be like, oh, I like what they're doing, so yeah. we kind of gravitate towards that in one song, and then we'd play with like a noise band and be like, oh, that's really interesting, like. It was all just kind of, we just went where we felt when it came to the music, and mm. that's probably why like it's been a bit of a task putting a tag onto us because we, it's not even a conscious effort. Like, oh, we, we don't want to be tagged. Like, if someone's got like a name to call us, then call us it that. Like, yeah, we're not yeah. Bothered. Like, we're we're not one of those bands that gets offended if we're called. Like, I mean, we might be a little bit if we call if you call us pop music. <laughs> <laughs> That's not to say pop is bad at all. It's just like, are your ears working? Yeah. <laughs> if, if anyone wants to call us whatever they want, then they can because we have no idea what to yeah. call ourselves. And you, you mentioned obviously like playing with all the the various different bands because again, I, I think it was quite quickly that I started seeing your your name sort of on on flyers with sort of as you say mentioned with the hardcore bands with doom bands with the more just straight up metal bands and not just kind of local to where you were but obviously all over the country so did that kind of movement into sort of mixed bills come quite quickly because as you say you kind of skipped a, a year of kind of that new band syndrome to say so and and was it just a case that your your popularity was growing, that people wanted you on bills and they weren't bothered what to put you on? Or was it was that kind of you guys pushing to just say, yeah, we'll play whatever slot you've got, got going for us? It was definitely the latter. Yeah. It was just a case of, like, sometimes it was we'd see a bill and whoever was promoting that show would say, oh, yeah, we can do it with another band, and then Brady would be straight onto it. Like, oh, we really want to play with this band, and then they just put us on. And uh, sometimes it was a case of people would just put us on their own bills that were a big mishmash of styles. And I think it's the thing like we're we're very lucky to have had that because you know if we were a lot more easily defined mm. than you'd see as you know say if we were straight up death metal, we would be playing with a lot more straight up death metal bands because. You're, you're in a certain pool so you're going to end up playing with similar bands but it was really cool for us like it's helped us in terms of writing music that we play with so many different types of bands because then it's like we're pulling from all sorts of different influences like our music taste we don't have any 
albums that we all collectively love and are inspired by. It'll be like me and Brady will love one album, me and Jan will love one album, uh, Connor and Brady will be massive on one thing. Like, there's never anything that we all look at and go, yes, awesome. It's all just kind of picked up from the bands we play with live. Mm. So it's great that we got to be on all these different bills because that's enabled us to basically just write whatever we want. Like, with the scene we were growing up in, because there was no, well, essentially no scene to follow, it was like, well, we can do whatever we want. Yeah. I mean, anyone, any band that's starting up has the option to do that in the first place, but obviously if there's a, a thriving scene in your town, you're more likely going to kind of gravitate towards that. So when me and Brady were starting up, it was all things like, Malefice and Silosis and Anteria and like just that kind of it wasn't I guess I guess you'd call it metalcore I mean it's a little bit more straight up metal than that it's yeah. a little bit more traditional than that but that was what we were following and so when all that kind of stuff died down it was like well we can do what we want and that attitude carried over not just into writing music for Kundra but playing shows with Kundra it was just like well there's no reason why we can't fit on this bill like mm-hmm. our music like we'd have like a, a straight up doom song but then there'd be some black metal in it then we'd have more of a hardcore song that had like some groove in it it was just we kind of just did that so we could get on all these bills <laughs> and it, it's worked out pretty okay I think yeah well I think that obviously the UK in general I think there's not too many kind of scene specifics if that makes sense like i guess in in london there's kind of a a, a core sort of hardcore scene but various sort of cities and and towns across the uk have sort of sporadic scenes as it is so like the, i think that's why sort of like bands we're seeing coming through now are kind of adapting their sound to, to match so, so if you take for instance like a band like Svalbard they're kind of got that sort of screamo sound but yet the sort of thrashy black metal guitars with sort of like the crusty edge then you've got bands like Employed to Serve who have got like beat down riffs but then like it's like really techy and then bands like yourselves who've got that doom element but throw in a bit of black metal and just straight up metal so do you think that that's kind of helped you guys that there is this mix mash of of genres that that's kind of helped people's eyes kind of draw to you oh absolutely like i think it's the same with those bands because they've just grown up in an age where it's like well we can do whatever we want that's you know that enables other people i was was saying to someone the other night that Obviously, in the time when Metallica were, they started Kill 'em All and stuff. That was when thrash was really starting to pick up, and then they started putting acoustic instruments into their songwriting, like on Ride the Lightning and whatnot. Mm. And to you know, people at the time, it's like, oh, you can't do that. What are you doing that for? <laughs> yeah. But that attitude has helped bands like us kind of basically see that as the standard it's like oh, well you yes of course you can do that of course you can put acoustic guitars in this of course you can put strings on that like that attitude has enabled bands like us and employed to serve in Svalbard say like yeah why not why not put crossed over some emo riffs like it works like mm. do what you want and that's 
I think it's the best it's the best place to be in and it's the best place going forward because you're only going to get more and more not even like hodgepodge styles you're just going to see people like implement different styles into their music more and you're going to see them kind of expand on them and eventually they will become like I mean I don't know if they'll become genres of their own but I think that's kind of the point is that we're breaking down genre barriers Mm. like I wouldn't know what to call Svalbard. I wouldn't know what to call Employed to Serve. I wouldn't know what to call Owns. Yeah. They're all just their own thing. And obviously as Kundra progressed from our very, very early days, and now they're our peers, those bands are our peers, it's just kind of like, this is awesome. You're all in the same boat as us. Yeah. And I think, obviously you say this this kind of attitude of, of doing what you want kind of thing do you think that that kind of i don't know kind of reduces the expectation to to an extent because i think if your ep was if we take that as an example if that was to be a straight up doom metal ep and then obviously maya comes out and i've been lucky enough to to hear the whole thing and it's not a straight up doom ep uh sorry album like there'll be that kind of expectation there but because obviously as you say there's this kind of attitude of do what we want so there's not that expectation there do you think that kind of is is enabling you to kind of stretch the boundaries and and try new things because if your fan base was embedded within a doom scene for example and then you just decided to do something completely left field that that might kind of dissuade the fans you've already got whereas they're kind of on this journey along with you, if that makes sense. Yeah, nail on the head there. Like <laughs> because because we've been able to do that, because we've said from the get-go, well, we want to do stuff like this, we want to go down these avenues, it means that all any expectations that we would have if we were a straight band, they're completely smashed. I mean... You look at a band like Cannibal Corpse, they ain't doing anything other than what they've been doing for the past 30 years. Yeah. Like, they, they can't go anywhere else. And like that, that's not me like putting them down or anything. Like, if they want to do that, that's great. But like for us, we we couldn't bear to just do the same thing over and over again. And as I said, we, we've all got a sort of ADHD approach to <laughs> yeah. stuff we listen to. It, it's because, you know, like, for instance, Jan is really into a lot of electronic music and a lot of uh, math rock, not in the sense of like Dillinger, but like Three Trap Tigers, things okay, like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. And Brady's really into hip hop. And even though that doesn't like find its way into our music, we aren't, we aren't going to be doing a rap metal. <laughs> like, I want to hear that. I want to hear that. Maybe you do not. <laughs> like, it, it, it all goes into the pot somehow. Like me and Brady are really into um, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. And even though you know none of that's going into the music, it, it's it's certain its approaches, its attitudes, its you know lyrical content, things like that. All of it goes in one way or another, mm. even if it's not actually in the music itself. So yeah, like. In terms of expectations, like I couldn't be more happy that there are none. Yeah. And even if there were any, we wouldn't really pay attention to them. Mm. And I think if we move 
nicely on to, to Maya now. Obviously, uh, record comes out sort of next month. Uh, there's a lot of buzz sort of surrounding it already, which is in- incredible from like a an outsider looking looking in. But um, talk talk me through through the record a little bit. So, were there kind of any particular sort of themes that you wanted to touch upon going into it at all? Like, um, not necessarily sort of lyrically, but just sort of within the writing process itself. Like, were you and Brady kind of talking about what what message you wanted to perceive with it? Um. Well. It's kind of hard to say because some of the songs on that album are about three years old. Oh, okay. There's a good, there's a good two or three that we were playing like our very first gigs. <laughs> okay, fair like, enough. Like, yeah, our very very first one. So if any, that album, like, not to sound pretentious, it's kind of been three years in the making. Yeah. Really. Like it's, you know, there's not been a set, you know, so. It's, for some bands, it'll be they've recorded an album and then they record the second album while they're touring the first one. Yeah. So there's a bit more of a um, there's more time constraints really, like especially if you consider like typically bands now it's every well typically now it's about every two and a half three years that they yeah. release a new album. Um, and even though that's you know the amount of time it took us to basically write the first one, it's um. It allowed that amount of time allowed for all sorts of other influences to come in. So, you know, when we started out and things were leaning more towards the death metal side of things, like there were some songs that uh, we completely chucked that were just straight up like Black Dahlia murder worship. (laughs) With with those three years, we had the chance to be like, nah, let's hold off on this one for a while, shelve this one for a bit. Uh, we can add this to it, blah, blah, blah. It just gave us more time to kind of craft everything better. Mm. And, you know, because of all the gigging we did from, like, the EP onwards, like, it really felt like we kind of, from the EP onwards, it was like, right, now we need to write an album. Well, there's four songs that need writing for the album. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, it was just way more time to hone in on the stuff we'd already done and from that decide right where can we go from there mm. so it there wasn't a conscious sort of theme or anything it was just kind of well what songs would suit these older songs best yeah and if in some sense it was like right what's the complete opposite and even though there wasn't you know a kind of right well we've done this now so we need to do this sort of song i it literally is just a case of I sit down, write something, if I like it, put it all into like a guitar profile, send it over to Jan, he arranges it, and then we bring it to a band practice and we play through it and stuff like that, like that whole shebang. Mm. When we do that, it does take a while to create these songs, but going on an album if we don't think they're absolutely fantastic sort of thing yeah so it, it yeah it's just a case of a case of fine tuning mm. there was no recurring lyrical themes because it took so long like, <laughs> yeah. we did so many different places like and as much as i say you know we see bands and that all goes into this mixing parts of like that just going to different places does the same yeah like i mean uh, one side of my family comes from Scotland and I've never been to Scotland before but uh, just before the EP came out we managed to get up there mm. and that was even though you know 
we, we only went to Edinburgh and Glasgow. Uh, Edinburgh especially was just kind of like it's really stuck with me. Yeah, places are as inspirational as people and albums and live shows and stuff like that. So yeah, I I couldn't have asked for a better kind of experience when it came to writing for the rest of Maya because so many different things went into it, mm. and it seems now like what a lot of people are kindly saying is that Maya the album is kind of a big mixing pot but it's not all hodgepodge it's not all kind of you know crudely stuck together or anything like yeah. that it's just a big sort of cauldron if you will yeah well uh, and this is going to sound a bit strange but obviously I didn't realise the kind of length it had taken so with with this now I know this is going to sound a bit strange because the album isn't even technically out yet but is it do you kind of see Meyer as kind of like a line in the sand for you guys because now that the that old stuff is done and obviously you've added the the newer stuff that you can kind of say right this is our journey to now let's move on to the next thing to to an extent or am i just kind of reading way too much into that situation no no i think you got it spot on that i mean when we came out of the studio uh for Maya, it was like right next one. It's <laughs> yeah. straight. It's straight away. Just kind of, and we've already got like quite a lot of material. Okay. For the next album, and it, it's it's one of the things. I mean, there's a couple of things we're well, a few things we're working on at the moment. Like in the band, you know, as for like gigging, touring, and stuff like that. Yeah. But whenever you know anyone gets a spare day or weekend or whatever it's kind of like right let's let's write for this thing let's write for that thing and that's not to say you know we're constantly bubbling away you know that we've all got our own things that we're dealing with and we're getting on with but again all of that eventually comes back into the music and stuff there's a lot of things that we've done and we've learned over the years that you know, when we come to sit down and like play our guitars or whatever, it goes into it one way or another, whether it comes out in like a really depressing passage or a really <laughs> gross riff or whatever, it it all goes into it. Yeah. And it's kind of it's really exciting, even though at times I get kind of anxious and it's just like, Oh, where's this song gonna go? Where's that gonna go? Like, we've got so much stuff but now it's a matter of arranging it and this and that. That whole kind of I don't want to say struggle, that's too strong of a word, but that whole, you know, fumbling around almost mm. is, is important to us. If we were just coming, like, coming out with songs like bam, 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 then I think we'd, we'd question ourselves a bit more and be like, is this is this stuff even good? Like, yeah, for yeah. us, there has to be a sort of, it's kind of why the, the album's called Maya, because, like, there has to be, like, almost a struggle in that sense that, it has to be an uphill battle in one way or another. No, no, I get that. Like, yeah, this is good enough. We've been fighting over this. We've been fretting over just a, a bridge or a verse for like months. Like, this <laughs> yeah, is, this is definitely good enough. Like, we we have no qualms with you know, if we if it takes us six months to write a song and then at the end of it we're like, nah, it's rubbish. Then we'll chuck it. Yeah, that's yeah. That. And that's kind of the thing when it came to writing. Myers, it was just like there, there were times when it was just kind of like, are we going to have anything done on time? Like, there's one of the songs that so nearly didn't make it onto the album because we weren't sure if 
it'd be finished in time. And yeah. that's what we did when we were really excited about it. And we were just like, this has to go on. Like, <laughs> that, that, that's the kind of thing. It's, even if it does take us like a bit of time, we know that what we have at the end of it is going to be worth keeping. So mm. I think it's going to be worth showing. And something that I, I always kind of find uh, intriguing is obviously with bands that have uh, dual vocals like like yourselves is that how you kind of come about sort of uh, the sort of writing process of, of, of lyrics and the sort of split of it. So is it a case of that, for instance, like you'll bring bring lyrics to the table and then it will just be whoever's voice fits it best between you and Brady or are there songs where for instance I don't know Brady might bring something and then say no I want to sing this bit I want you to sing that bit how, how does that dynamic work well whoever comes in with the lyrics it's kind of there'll usually be an idea of right so we've got just just I'll use Laban's terms for now just say we've got verse chorus verse chorus yeah. bridge or something like that it'll be like right, I want Brady to do the second bridge. Uh, if you could double up with me here and vice versa. Like, it, it's all kind of like that. And then Brady will say, yeah, I'm not really fond of doing this bit. Can we, can we swap? Can mm. we swap verses or whatever? And it's just like, yeah, sure. And a lot of it will be, you know, for instance, uh, the second track on Maya, uh, it will be to do with what we're doing with our instruments at the time. So if there's a bit where I don't know Brady's going doing like this massive sort of huge guitar soundscape or something like that, it'll be like right. So at that point, I'll take over so he can focus on doing that. There's a lot of practicality okay. behind while we do our vocals, mm. and there, there are obviously times where it's like you have to do this vocal. Part. <laughs> I know you've got this lead line you're doing. I know it'll be slightly difficult, but just practice it. Yeah, uh, like Brady's got parts like that where he's essentially doing not a full-on shredding solo or anything, but he's doing like a melodic lead line, and he's having to scream in like completely different phrasing to that lead line over it. Like, yeah, it's like if it if it works, you do it. I don't care if it's hard, <laughs> you do it. Like, that's kind of that, and you see, yeah, there's a lot of practicality, like whether anyone's having to fiddle about with their pedals or whatever, and as well, like uh, Brady's got like an incredible. I don't know how he does it. I, it's kind of a, a Joe Duplantier sort of melodic uh, shriek, yeah. Almost like you know how he can like he can be screaming at the top of his lungs harder than any like death metal vocalist. But there'll be pitched melodies and stuff in there. Like Brady has got that, yeah. And so there's a lot of I want to utilize that a lot. <laughs> and, you know, so it's just sort of, we we know what's best in each other. Yeah, and we know who will bring the most to a certain section. So, like at first, when when we started and we were doing vocals and stuff, it was kind of it wasn't really agreed that I was going to be a front man or anything like that. It was sort of, oh, I want to do vocals, and so I'll do some vocals. And then Brady be like, can I do some? He was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And that was that. And like, we keep trying to get Connor to do some, but he's like, no, oh, I can't scream. Yeah. You want to be, you know, just seeing what we can get out of each other. Like if Jan would would scream or sing, then we'd have him do it. Anything like that? He said many a time, nah, you can get stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
Um, and obviously, as I mentioned earlier, there's quite a lot of buzz uh, around Meyer already. So for, from an insider kind of looking out, what would you say is kind of the biggest difference from, from the EP to, to Meyer? Obviously, I know that you said some of the songs have been floating around since the inception of the band, but kind of as the band has grown, like what would you say for, for you personally has been the kind of biggest difference between the two records? Well, for me, not to put the EP down, but Maya feels kind of like a fresh start. Yeah. And um, that's mainly because when when we did the EP, you know, no one's ever got, like, the finished product straight away. It was just kind of like, right, we've got all these songs. Guess we do an EP now. And we went in with, like, the four songs that we thought were most cohesive together. And again, like, there were... The song there are a couple of songs on Maya that we had around that time that we were like should these go on and it was like nah let's save them we can do more with that and they'll you know we can they'll rear their heads later and when we did the EP it was kind of you know we were just so excited to be doing one mm. and it was just like a wicked first experience and when we came out of it it was just kind of uh, I wish we'd done this. Maybe we should have done that. Maybe like, like we just we came out of it with more kind of just more of an idea of what to do next time. Yeah. And so because of that, it's kind of with each thing you do, like you, we take away positives as well, but we mainly focus on right that worked. Now we need to make sure we do this next time. Make sure we try this out. Blah blah. blah. It's the same with Maya. Like we're really happy with Maya. But there are, there are things that we're like, okay, next time we want to try this. Next time we should do this instead of that. Like, It's never put in... It's not to put either of those releases down. It's just that we constantly... you know, We want to be progressive. We want to be trying different things and just honing everything in, really. Mm. So, yeah, we, in terms of the jump from the EP to the album, I mean, personally, I think it's a fairly big jump. And I just think, I know, I just think we got everything more right this time. Yeah. And one thing that I kind of wanted to, to talk to you about is obviously you've released a couple of videos, but the one that's obviously come out more recently was the video for Wretch. That's obviously is the, the kind of unique selling point of it is that you can kind of move around and see you guys performing in a, in a practice space. So what was the the kind of thinking behind that idea and was it something that you'd kind of contemplated before or was it something that somebody had pitched to you like how did that all come about I mean it all kind of came about like exactly like you just said really okay <laughs> we, need a, we need to do a video should we do a 360 video in the practice room yeah <laughs> that's, that's as much thought that went into it there was no big discussion we were just told that um, you know, Holy Raw wants to do another video. We pitched that idea, and that was it. And now it's out. <laughs> that's, that's it. it was so quick and easy. That was it. No, that's that's cool. I wasn't sure of, like if there was any sort of other reasoning, but if that's the issue, that's that's it. Um, one more quick thing before I start wrapping up, Dan, that I want to talk to you about is, as I say, around my there's been a lot of sort of press buzz already. There's been sort of glowing reviews but also that you're kind of touted as one of the bands to watch for for 2018 obviously you've appeared in sort of crying you've appeared in 
Metal Hammer, you've been on BBC uh, Rock Show. So for for you as somebody that was that kind of grew up listening to to bands like Avenged Sevenfold and so on and so forth, how has that kind of sort of, sort of eyes on you kind of been? Because I, I don't know, like for for me, if that was me, I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? Like all these people are sort of checking out this little thing that I'm doing. So has it been kind of a an eye opener that now all of a sudden there's all these sort of industry media people that are looking into to Kundra. Well, you summed up my feelings when you said if it were you, you'd be like, "What the fuck is going <laughs> yeah. on?" That is it is, it's, it's bizarre, and that's not in a bad way at all. Like I, there are, there's been a lot of times when I've had to kind of step back and realise what's happening because because there's always things going on in one, you know to one degree of severity or another, whether it's, you know, oh, we really need to get this song finished, or, oh, we're doing this now, we're doing... Blah, blah, blah. Because it all kind of becomes... It all rolls into one big snowball for me. Like, sometimes you do have to kind of stand back and be like, holy, this is a massive deal. Yeah. Like, there, there's, there's been a lot of that stuff recently, and, like, Brady sent me one thing that I can't talk about, and he was just saying, dude, this has just happened. And I'm texting him like I might have a little cry. Because <laughs> I don't know how to deal with this. Like this is insane. I never thought that would ever happen. That yeah, there's there's plenty of things that have blown my mind that I never expected to happen. I mean, as well like growing up in those earlier bands and stuff like that, it was a case of you know we'd play like a place. There's a place in Northampton called the King Billy that's just like a little rock pub. Like that was that was it for us we were like yeah we played the King Billy that's awesome this band played here that band played here like we appreciated that to no end and then you know the earlier gigs with Conjurer playing in all sorts of different venues like I said going up to Scotland it was like oh my god we're in Scotland like we're all very um, kind of wide eyed yeah. about everything like our heads are in the clouds a little bit like so kind of you get wrapped up in all the stuff that's going on and a lot of you know you just have to roll with it you just have to and that's not to say anything like bad's going on or anything it's just kind of like oh this is happening now okay we'll do that we do that we do that so yeah like it's it's insane I never expected to like I say even get to Scotland (laughs) there's talks and going to like places all over Europe and whatnot and it's just like well, me and my mate plan to go to holiday there. And yeah, now yeah. We're going there as a band, like, and we're going here and there and there, and this is happening. People are saying this stuff, and as much as I don't get wrapped up in it in the sense of like, oh yeah, yeah look at me, big big shot or anything like that. It's it's not that for any of us. We joke and stuff, like, and we'll just be like, yeah, we're the, <laughs> we're the shit. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's all kind of, it's all you know, kind of sarcastic and stuff. We're we're all very you know, down to earth. And I'm sure there's probably people listening thinking that if you have to say that you're down to earth, you're probably not. But we really are. <laughs> we, you know, we, we have no idea what's going on. We just kind of, we get stuff through and it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, we, you know, we're, we're kind of kids in the Toys R Us at the minute. Like, there's all sorts of stuff we want to do. And even though, like, we know we can't do it all, like, someone can just give us one thing and we're like, oh my God, like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be happy, sort of thing. That that there's so many goals 
we've achieved that I never even thought we'd achieve in the first place. You know, they they weren't even things I dreamed up, and we've managed to achieve them. Yeah, like, we're all just really appreciative of, of everything that's happening right now, and if you know, if it does mean we have to kind of step back and be like, right, okay, what what does this mean? What do we do now? Like. That's, that's what it takes like my, my dad's kind of he's one of those people who's just like do you realise that you're you're in this magazine now this and that and I'm like yeah I still need a few weeks to process that <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cool well to, to kind of bring it all back round full circle to an extent you mentioned your dad there and also you said you, you work with him so has he kind of been sort of keeping tabs on what you guys are doing sort of as you say mentioned that he's seen you in, in magazines is it has he sort of obviously going back from the days where he kind of shown you ACDC is he now rocking Kundra all the time there's been a couple of times I've been into the office and he's had the stuff on but like, <laughs> yeah. I know it's not his thing like, okay like he's, I'm, I'm sure he's really happy that like we're doing what we're doing and you know he, him and my mum are always like oh I really want one of your new t-shirts and stuff like that and like we're, you know we'll always give them to him and stuff like that but like he's he, they've always been supportive yeah. of my mum and dad and you know you don't have to like whatever it is that someone's doing to know it's a good thing and to know to support them and stuff like that you know they've, they've come out to a couple of shows before and just been like that was very good I couldn't understand the word you were saying <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's kind of how they've been and you know they're not they, they don't kind of smother we smother me with it I know when uh, me and my mate Andy from school were playing in our older band like my dad said before like you know we don't want to be at every gig we don't want to like tread on your cool sort yeah, of yeah yeah like, but at the same time when we did like our very first demo like rubbish demo he'd come in and be like right I think this stuff works I'm not sure about the organ over this track and stuff <laughs> like that like, he's all you know he doesn't He's not a helicopter parent or anything. Neither yeah. are my helicopter parents. Like my mum, like today was like, oh, I really want to. I want to read the interview that you did with this magazine, but I don't know how to work my iPad. Can you tell me how? <laughs> like, they're kind of yeah. They're, they're all all of our parents are supportive. I know Jan's brother's always like he wants whatever merch just comes out at the time, and Jan's dad and. Connor's parents are always like, oh, we've got this copy of Kerrang that you're in. And like, he was saying at practice the other day, like, I've got about 10 copies of it now. I'm drowning in it. It's all, you know, we're still little kids. We're yeah. still just little kids. Uh, you know, me and Brady were just like, we used to read Kerrang when we were kids. Yeah. Now we're in it. Like, it's the same with Employed to Serve. I know they feel just as kind of gobsmacked. I mean, yeah, they yeah. Just announced their download like that's that's it isn't it that, yeah they've done it sort of thing like and it, it's the thing it's none of it i'm sure like sorry if i'm putting words in like the employees guys mouths or anything like that but like just i'm sure that none of us have got like big dreams of yeah we're going to be the next metallica or anything like that you just take everything as it comes and when all this cool stuff happens it's kind of like it's it's all kind of bucket list stuff yeah and we're not doing all just to tick it off our bucket list like because you know the amount of 
I kind of sum it down to this: like there'll be gigs we go to where you know they'll you'll just kind of all be a bit grumpy or whatever, and it's just like oh god, you know, do this on a work night or whatever. I'm not going to get back into the house till like three in the morning or whatever. But and there'll be times where you do the gig. And, and that's kind of it and you go home but there'll be times where like the drive to the gig will be enough like it'll be enough of like a cool and new experience yeah I, I mean to kind of to go back to Scotland I keep talking about Scotland <laughs> like, to, to it uh, Jan really got me into that latest liturgy album okay and whenever we would go on drives and stuff when we go on gig drives it's always like what's the right album to put on when yeah. we're driving through the hills of Scotland and it was like put on liturgy so put on liturgy be driving through all these misty hills and stuff with all this like weird noisy I mean I, I don't think it's black metal like that's not putting them down but it's you know it's noisy transcendental black metal whatever they want yeah. to call it and it's like that will always stick with me as like a really fond memory like there's all sorts of things that will stick with us as time goes on like we're not bothered if we never get to bring in Wembley or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. We don't care about that. It's just like everything so far has been fucking awesome. And if any more awesome stuff comes up, then great, we're happy to do it. Yeah. Well, I think like you've kind of hit the, the nail on the head because I'm actually like friends with Sammy from, from Employed to Serve. And I remember um, when they played Art Tangent last year, like me and him were just hanging out one day and it was just sort of like the next day he's on stage crowd surfing along and it's sort of like that's my mate doing that sort of thing like it's just a, a cool thing to do and they're still like super humble about everything that that's come come to them whereas they could easily be oh we're we're big rock stars now especially like as you say this success that their album had last year and now doing doing download it's just like it's weird to kind of see how the the bands like like employed to serve like yourselves are kind of now on that wave where those previously unattainable dreams are now attainable if that makes sense yeah but um i think oh sorry go on I was, I was just agreeing with you <laughs> <laughs> no i was just say I've, I've taken up uh too much of your time dan so I'll, I'll start winding it down so um, how I like to, to end the show is to, to ask the, the band member who I'm interviewing uh, what their favourite song is uh, of their band. So for obviously for yourself, what would be your favourite Conjurer song, but with a little bit of a twist. So what is your favourite Conjurer song that you like to play live and why? Oh, bloody hell. Um, <laughs> changes like every gig. There'll be songs that like I'm dying to play for one gig but then if they're in the set list for the next gig, I'm like, oh, do we have to? For God's sake. Like, um, that's a really tough one. Um, I really, I really like playing Wretch. Yeah. That's always fun. Like, that's one of the songs that is, is pretty much always in the set. Because um, it's just, oh, it's just great. It's, <laughs> I just it's just a lot of fun because we, we've not got straight up hardcore songs or anything like yeah. that so when you get that and you're like right I know what's coming like it's the sort of it's the same feeling that you get I mean I went to see Narwhals well me and Brady went to see Narwhals um, not long ago and they were playing um, Outsiders the latest album yeah. in full and even though sometimes I think about 
you know, when bands play an album in full, it's like, oh, well, you know how the set's going to go. Like, I I got that with them because there's, like, in particular, I really love um, track four on that album. Yeah. And I knew it was coming, so I was, I felt even more pumped up. Yeah, and I yeah. I kind of feel the same about when we're going to play Wretch. Like, sometimes it's a nightmare because I'll be knackered <laughs> by the time that song comes. <laughs> but now, yeah, I want to say that. I really like playing Joke as well, but that's way more difficult. For me. <laughs> nice. It's kind of, it's kind of, even though it is like, a, I really like playing it, it's the first song in the set, so it's sort of, that's the one of, it's, it's not really a warm-up song. You pretty much just go straight into it. Yeah. I know the beginning's like a lot slower and stuff like that, but um, yeah, it's a toss-up between those two, and do I really have to pick one? That's really cool. No, you, 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 you can go with the two. That's that's if you want the two, you can go with the two. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect, Dan. Thank you very much for your time this evening. I really appreciate it. Um, the record is fucking awesome, and yeah, best of luck with with everything for the rest of 2018. Thank you, man. Much appreciated. Perfect. Fun. Take it easy. Take care. See ya. Cheers, bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive shout-out to Dan for giving up some of his Saturday evening to have a little chat with me. Uh, Contra's new record, Maya, is out on Holy Royal Records on February 23rd, um, so make sure you go check that out when it's released. Uh, they will also be doing some tour dates around the release of the record, so if they're in a town or city near you, really recommend going and check them out and see them. Um, as always, you can keep up to date with what they're doing on various social media platforms. Uh, on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash UK, and then on Twitter and Instagram, it's at UK. Uh, you can always keep up to date with what we're doing on the show as well on Twitter, it's at just underscore and underscore insight. Uh, and if you're listening to the show on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button, give us a rate, give us a review, it really does help. Um, I'm actually also looking, I know I keep saying about YouTube, but I'm just really slack with it, but I'm also looking to get this show on Acast soon, so hopefully that will happen in March I haven't really looked too much into it but I've just heard that ACAST is another good avenue to go for podcasts so if I want to push this out to as many people why the hell not jump on another platform but yeah I'll keep you up to date with with that when that happens Um, but that's it for this week Uh, so I'm going to leave you to it thank you again for listening to the Justin Insight podcast and I'll see you soon